John, chapter 19, verses 1 through 16. Verse 1. Then Pilate therefore took Jesus and scourged him. Burkett notes, observe here, one, that as the death of the cross was a Roman punishment, so it was the manner of the Romans to whip their malefactors before they crucified them. Accordingly, Pilate took Jesus and scourged him. Oh, amazing sight! The great God of heaven and earth is lashed and scourged like a base slave. Behold, hard-hearted sinner, the lashes wherewith thy Redeemer is cruelly tormented were to preserve thee from the severer lashes of thine own accusing and condemning conscience, and to save thee from being lashed by the rage and fury of devils to all eternity. Observe, too, how unwilling, how very unwilling, Pilate was to be the instrument of our Savior's death. It's very evident that he had a mind to release him, and it is concluded that Pilate was thus forward to scourge Christ, hoping that the Jews would have been satisfied with this lighter punishment, and so have dismissed him. From this instance, we may gather that hypocrites within the pale of the visible church may be guilty of such tremendous acts of wickedness as the conscience of an infidel and pagan may boggle and protest against. Pilate, a pagan, absolves Christ and seeks to release him, while the hypocritical Jews, who had heard his doctrine and saw his miracles, condemn him. Observe 3. How wretchedly Pilate suffers himself to be overcome with the Jews' importunity, and, contrary to the light of his own reason and conscience, delivers the holy and innocent Jesus first to be scourged and then crucified. Learn hence that it is a vain apology for sin when persons pretend it was not committed with their own consent, but at the instigation and importunity of others. For such is the frame and constitution of a man's soul, that none can make him either wicked or miserable without his own consent. Then Pilate took Jesus and scourged him. Verses 2 and 3 And the soldiers plaited a crown of thorns and put it on his head, and they put on him a purple robe, and said, Hail, King of the Jews! And they smote him with their hands. Burkett notes, Behold here, one, the crown which they have prepared for him, a crown of thorns, and with great cruelty they press it closely to his sacred temples, while those sharp-pointed briars, piercing those tender parts, let out that blood which in a short time was to be more freely poured forth for the redemption of captive souls. The next part of our Savior's suffering consisted of cruel mockings. Christ had owned himself to be the king of the Jews, that is, a spiritual king, in and over his church. But the Jews, expecting that the Messiah should have appeared in the pomp of an earthly prince, and finding it to be quite otherwise in our Savior, they look upon him as a deceiver and impostor, and accordingly treat him as a mock king, with all the marks of derision and scorn. For first they put a crown upon his head, but a very ignominious and painful one, a crown of thorns. They put a scepter in his hand, but it was that of a reed, a robe of scarlet or purple upon his body, and then bowed their knees to him, as they were wont to do before their princes, crying, Hail, King! Thus were all marks of scorn imaginable put upon our dear Redeemer. Yet what they did in jest, God permitted to be done in earnest, for all these things were ensigns and marks of sovereignty. And Almighty God caused the royal dignity of his Son to shine forth, 
even in the midst of his greatest abasement. Whence was all this cheering and sport, but to flout majesty? And why did the Son of God undergo all this ignominy, disgrace, and shame, but to show what was due to us for our sins? And also to give us an example, to bear all scorn, reproach, and shame imaginable for the sake of him who, for the joy that was set before him, despised the shame as well as endured the cross. Verily, nothing was admitted that either the malice of men or the rage of devils could possibly invent either to torment or reproach him. But with what a lamb-like meekness, with what an astonishing patience, did he undergo all these trials, both for our good and in our stead. Verses 4-6 through six. Pilate therefore went forth again, and saith unto them, Behold, I bring him forth to you, that you may know that I find no fault in him. Then came Jesus forth, wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate saith unto them, Behold the man. When the chief priests therefore and officers saw him, they cried out, saying, Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate saith unto them, Take ye him and crucify him, for I find no fault in him. Burkett notes, Observe here, one, the great variety of our Savior's sufferings. He has made the football of all cruelty and scorn. His sacred body is stripped of his garments, and his back disguised with purple robes. His tender temples, wounded with a thorny crown, his face spat upon, his cheeks buffeted, his head smitten, his hands sceptered with a reed. By his wearing a crown of thorns, he took away the bitterness of that course which our sins brought upon the earth. Genesis 3.18 Thorns and briars shall it bring forth. Christ, by his bitter and bloody sufferings, has turned all the curses of his people into crowns and blessings. Observe, too, the noble testimony given of Christ's innocency by the mouth of Pilate. I find in him no fault at all. He doth not say, I find him not guilty of what is laid to his charge, but gives a universal testimony of our Lord's innocency. I find no fault at all in him. In spite of all malice, innocency shall find some friends and abettors. Rather than Christ shall want witnesses, Pilate's mouth was open for his justification. How fain would he have freed Jesus, whom he found faultless. Our Lord found more compassion from Pilate, a heathen, than he did from them of his own nation. Pilate would have saved him, but they cry out for his blood. Hypocrites within the visible church may be guilty of such monstrous acts of wickedness as the conscience of heathens without the church may boggle at and protest against. Pilate, a pagan, pronounces Christ innocent, while the hypocritical Jews, who had heard his doctrine and seen his miracles, do condemn him. Observe 3. Who influenced the main body of the Jews to desire Pilate to put Jesus to death? It was the chief priests and elders. They persuaded the multitude. Woe be to the common people when their guides and leaders are corrupt, and woe be unto them much more if they follow their wicked and pernicious counsels. The Jews here followed their guides, the chief priests, but it was their own destruction as well as their leaders. When the blind lead the blind, both fall into the ditch. Verses 7 and 8 The Jews answered him, We have a law and by our law he ought to die, because he made himself the Son of God. When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he was the more afraid, and went again into the judgment hall, and saith unto Jesus, 
Whence art thou? But Jesus gave him no answer. Burkett notes, Observe here, one, how ambitious the chief priests were that Christ should die under a color of law. We have a law, and by our law he ought to die. The law which they alluded to is the law for putting false prophets and blasphemers to death, of which number they conclude Christ to be, because he made himself the Son of God. Whereas he did not make himself so, or only pretend to be so, but really and indeed was so, to wit, the eternal Son of God. Such as are indeed blasphemers, and do arrogate to themselves what is proper to God only, by the law of God, they ought to be put to death. But Christ was not guilty of the violation of that law, for he was indeed the Son of God, and did not make himself so. Observe, too, how full of fear the conscience of Pilate was when the Jews told him that Jesus made himself the Son of God. He was afraid to condemn him, not knowing but that he might be some divine and extraordinary person, and consequently might draw down divine vengeance on his own head. Learn hence that serious thoughts of deity will strike terror into even a natural conscience, especially when the sinner is following a course which his own judgment cannot approve. When Pilate heard of Christ's being the Son of God, he was afraid, knowing what he had done to him was against his own conscience. Observe 3. The question Pilate puts to Christ upon this occasion. Whence art thou? That is, what is thy original or parentage? Art thou a divine person or not? Our blessed Savior, being unwilling to obstruct his own suffering or to discover anything that might hinder Pilate from proceeding against him, would give him no answer having before made a reasonable and sufficient defense. Oh, how ready Christ was to lay his life down for sinners, and how willing to pay that ransom for his people, which the justice of God required. Verses 10 and 11. Then saith Pilate unto him, Speakest thou not unto me? Knowest thou not that I have a power to crucify thee, and have a power to release thee? Jesus answered, Thou couldst have no power at all against me, except it were given thee from above. Therefore, he that delivered me unto thee hath the greater sin. Burkett notes, Observe here, one, how offended Pilate was at Christ's silence, and how unreasonably he boasts of his power and authority. Have not I power to crucify thee, and power to release thee? That is the great sin and snare of men in power, to forget from whom they derive their power, and to think that they may employ their power as they please. Observe, too, the piety and meekness of our Savior's answer. Thou couldst have no power against me, except if it were given thee from above. That is, thou hast no power over me, nor couldst thou inflict any punishment upon me, were it not that my Father hath in his great wisdom, divine counsel, and for glorious ends, permitted it to be so. Learn that Christ's being under the power of any man, how great and eminent soever, did flow from the peculiar dispensation of God, who in his wise and wonderful counsel so ordered it, and ordained it for the redemption and salvation of his people. He was above all human power as God, and no ways obnoxious to Pilate's power, being a perfect, innocent man. Observe 3. How Christ charges his death more upon Judas and the Jews than upon Pilate and the Gentiles. He that delivered me unto thee hath the greater sin. Not that Pilate was excused from sin in delivering Christ to be crucified, 
He sinned heinously in abusing his power, but Judah sinned more in delivering him up to the chief priests, and the chief priests in delivering him up to Pilate, and Pilate himself, whom they made a tool to serve their malice and revenge. They had better means of knowledge than he, and so sinned against more light than he, and consequently their guilt was greater and their condemnation heavier than his. Thence learn that the greater the means of light and knowledge persons sin against, the more aggravated is their guilt, and the more heightened will be their condemnation. He that delivered me unto thee has the greater sin. Verses 12 and 13. From thenceforth Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, saying, If thou let this man go, thou art not Caesar's friend. Whosoever maketh himself a king speaketh against Caesar. When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he brought Jesus forth and sat down in the judgment seat in a place called the pavement, but in the Hebrew, Gabbatha. Burkett notes, Still observe how unwilling Pilate was to put Christ to death. Conscience bids him spare. Popularity bids him kill. How frequently and fervently did he contend with the Jews till they make it a state case and tacitly accuse him for a traitor to the Roman emperor if he released him. If thou let this man go, thou art not Caesar's friend. When Pilate heard that, he delivers up the innocent Jesus to be crucified. Hence learn that the natural consciences of men and the innate notions of good and evil may carry men on a great way in opposing that which is barefaced inequity. But at last, either fear or shame will overrule if there be not a superior and more noble principle. Though Pilate's conscience acquitted Christ, and his mouth had declared that he found no fault at all in him, yet fear of Caesar's displeasure causes him to deliver to death the holiest and best of men against his judgment and his conscience. When Pilate heard that, he brought Jesus forth unto them. Verses 14 through 16. And it was the preparation of the Passover, and about the sixth hour. And he saith unto the Jews, Behold your king. But they cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate saith unto them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. Then delivered he him, therefore, unto them to be crucified. Burkett notes, Observe here how careful the Holy Ghost is to record and set down the time when Pilate gave sentence against Christ. In general, it was on the day of the preparation for the Passover, that is, the day immediately before it, when they prepared everything needful for the solemnization. And in particular, it was about the sixth hour of that day. St. Mark calls it the third hour, St. John the sixth. But this is easily reconciled thus. The Jews divided the day into four quarters, which they called hours. The first was called the third hour, which answers to our ninth. The second, called the sixth hour, answering to our twelfth. The third, called the ninth hour, answering to our three in the afternoon. The fourth, called the twelfth hour, which was the time of their retirement from labor and beginning of the first night watch. Now the whole time, from the third hour to the sixth, that is, from nine to twelve, was called the third hour, and the whole intervening time, from the sixth to the ninth, that is, from twelve to three, is called the sixth hour, and so of the rest. Now when St. John says it was about the sixth hour when Christ was condemned by Pilate 
and led away to be crucified. And St. Mark says it was the third hour. We are to understand that St. Mark takes in the whole time of the third hour, from 9 to 12. And St. John saying it was about the sixth hour implies it was near 12. So that between the hours of 9 and 12, our Savior was sentenced and led away to his cross. About 12, fastened to his cross, upon which he hung till the ninth hour. That is, till about three in the afternoon, during which time there was such an eclipse of the sun as did occasion darkness over all the earth. Learn hence the great love and condescension of Christ in stooping so low to have his sufferings lengthened out upon our accounts to expiate our guilt, which deserves eternal sufferings, that he might, by his example, warn us to prepare for trials of long continuance and sanctify a state of continual affliction to us. Behold, the Son of God, harassed all night before he suffered, harried from place to place, posted backward and forward from Pilate to Herod and from Herod to Pilate, wearied, scourged, buffeted, crowned with thorns, at last nailed to his cross and hanging thereupon from about twelve to three in exquisite torture of body and under the sense of his father's wrath in his soul. O Lord, thy kindness towards us is matchless and inimitable. Never was a love like thine.